Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. If you don't feel anything after watching what Hitler did, I'd have some serious questions for you. Because there must be a logical connection between a thought and an emotional response. Uh, You do not bifurcate humanity that way. And uh, if you did not have that connection, you'd be fragmented as a being. Welcome back to Just Thinking. It is always a privilege and joy for the RZIM team to connect with students on college campuses around the world these students often struggle with difficult questions and appreciate opportunities to ask those deep questions they're wrestling with. Today's questions are no exception, as students from Columbia University ask Robbie Zacharias hard-hitting questions about feelings, unbelief, and evil. Let's listen as Robbie tackles the first question. When you were speaking about naturalism in the beginning, Um, You used evidence talking about bin Laden or Hitler. Were your arguments appealing to our feelings of justice? If if naturalism says that our feelings are really what morality is all about, were you not leading us to use our feelings against bin Laden or Hitler as ways of rejecting naturalism? No, I never said naturalism says feelings are leading to morality. I never said that. I said it's biology. And if you are taking two things that may have one thing in common, but have a whole worldview different to it, uh, you are you're committing a very significant logical fallacy of the, that's called the undistributed middle. Two things that have one thing in common may not have everything in common. Feelings are a vital part of my life, but they are engendered by thought, not manufacturing thought. So it is the thinking that engenders the feelings and that chronological sequence. If the feeling alone engenders the thought, then your point would be well taken, but that's not what I'm arguing at all. I'm not at all using Hitler or bin Laden for as feelings. The question is, if you don't feel anything after watching what Hitler did, I'd have some serious questions for you. Because there must be a logical connection between a thought and an emotional response. Uh, You do not bifurcate humanity that way. And uh, if you did not have that connection, you'd be fragmented as a being. So yes, the feeling is an indicator, but you don't just push the feeling as uh, that which adjudicates whether something is right or wrong. But the logic of uh, uh, noontic referent for morality leads me, in fact, to a feelingless world. I should not be feeling anything towards these people. Why am I even feeling it. It is purely then chemistry. So I'm not appealing to feeling. I'm taking the thought and showing where it feels, which is precisely the point I made on the cross too, that it is actual embodiment, concrete. It is not merely an abstraction. Thank you. Thank you, sir. When we equate sin to to evil, is it as much of an institution as Christianity is? Or is sainted an, an evil, an illusion created by man, and is it, is it just us? Yeah, well, um, 
Fair enough question. When you say, is it just us? You have to answer the question. Who is the us we're talking about? Is this a monolithic thing where we're all thinking the same thing, but we are all under an illusion of something else? Shankara, the great metaphysician of the Hindu worldview, the uh, Advaita worldview, uh, Shankara posited the theory of Maya, illusion. It's all really illusionary. Your sense of self is illusionary. And uh, once when he was chased by an elephant and he ran up a tree, somebody asked him why, if it was an illusion, did he run? And he said, well, that was an illusionary elephant. My run was illusionary and I ran up an illusionary tree. <laughs> you cannot deny the reality of something by just saying, are we illusionarily looking at something so crass? All you need to do, my friend, is see one brutal murder and know it is not illusionary. If evil is illusionary, so is good. If good is illusionary, then why do anything good in this world? So I don't think it is us because first of all, we are not united in what we consider evil. So A will disagree with B. And if A says to B, it is all just us, B would have to say that maybe your way of thinking is not my way of thinking. Then who arbitrates that? There is no way to do away um, with uh, evil as illusion without doing away with any decent act as illusionary too, and making this world a complete repetition of meaningless acts. In the Bible, there's a passage where uh, a man comes to Christ, um, where he talks about, I believe his son's demon possessed, and he says to Christ, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question for you is, how then, when it comes to pain and suffering, and wanting and desires that have come unmet in one's life, how then does the believer exercise himself spiritually so as to remain faithful in the face of God's constant silence? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure does. It's a profound question and uh, it comes in different forms at different stages of the scripture. The Apostle Paul, who was probably the most dramatically converted within the New Testament and then ended up writing a third of the New Testament. You know, he was a Hebrew by birth, a citizen of Rome, studied in a Greek city. He knew his culture through and through. He says at one point in the book of Romans, that which I want to do, I don't. He sees this tension within himself as a conflict between death and life. And the image he actually uses is in those days, the punishment for murder was to carry the dead body on your back it cut down murders quite quickly because you would have to carry that corpse on your back, talk about dead weight. And uh, you know, putting that on your back and carrying it, and he says, this divided heart of mine is like carrying a dead body. I'm unable to do what I want to do. And the person also said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I frankly think it's a graphic illustration of your heart and mine. There's a beautiful essay I read by an Englishman years ago called um, Hidden Gold, but a woman who got into the tram and she was looking for money and couldn't find it. 
to pay for her ticket. And she said, I know I had some, I know I had some. And then suddenly, in one little pocket, found a sovereign and she was able to pay with it. He said, life is like that mysterious purse. At a moment where we don't think we have it, we suddenly find something in a pocket that we never knew was even there. And he says, that's the kind of faith that some people have. At the last minute, we find we had an ounce of faith that we never thought we ever had before, and it comes through at just the right time. Let me give you an illustration of my father-in-law who passed away last September. He was a brilliant man, an author, chemical engineer, authored some books. He was possibly the most disciplined man I knew in my life personally. Incredibly meticulous, well-organized, through and through. But he was a very great realist. And he was a man devoted to Christ, but always had questions. In June of last year, he found out he had cancer with a growing tumor and it rocked him to his feet. He struggled and struggled and struggled. Faith never came easy to him, but he was a man of faith. And he questioned and he and I talked. He talked to the doctors, he talked to ministers. I, he and I talked for about three hours. He had so many fears with a deep heart of faith still hanging in there. On the last day of his life, I was flying into Toronto to see him. My wife, Margie, was already there. I already spent some time, but I was speaking elsewhere. And she phoned and said he may not make it. So I got into the plane again. He had his daughter standing around him. He'd been married for 63 years. Gradually, the hallucination type thing began and so on. He started to rip his clothes off. My wife said it's a pathetic thing to see a man of such dignity. But then there was a calmness that came upon him. He sat up in bed, put his arms out towards his wife. There was no sound in his voice left. He just lipped the words, I love you. 63 years of married life. He said, I love you. He put his head back on his pillow and he looked to the ceiling. And this was the last word he uttered. Amazing. Amazing. And he was gone. I don't know what exactly was going on, but I strongly suggest a man who struggled with his faith was given the last affirmation that what awaited him was more amazing than what he had ever imagined. Don't despair when you struggle with your questions, but like C.S. Lewis says, you don't take 10 steps back, you take one step back to deal with that issue. I think I could not be an atheist, I don't have that much of faith. It takes too much to disbelieve. I just cannot, must, and I'm not being funny, I'm being very serious. Because sometimes you think it might relieve you of an awful lot, you know. But it doesn't, it brings a baggage all its own that you cannot explain and understand. So yes, you will struggle. There are times you'll be saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But when you really know him, you'll walk with him, and you will find that relationship carries you through to the next step, when the answer was not propositional the relationship carried you through. I read the greatest sermon ever preached on the prodigal son by a Scotsman. It had three points. First one was sick of home. Second point, homesick. Third point, home. Sick of home, homesick, and home. When you wander into the terrain of doubt, there are no answers in there either. And then you come back home to where Christ has you, and you say, I believe, because here somehow the picture is complete, even if there are one or two things missing. For the Christian, joy is fundamental, sorrow is peripheral. 
because the fundamental questions are answered, the peripheral ones are not. For the unbelieving person, sorrow is central and joy is peripheral. Because the fundamental questions are unanswered, only some peripheral ones are answered. So the joy is peripheral, sorrow is fundamental for the unbeliever. Here, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. I think the fundamental ones are answered, the peripheral ones not. We have to end this program there, but tune in tomorrow as we hear questions and answers from this DVD series titled Columbia University Q&A Volume 4. You can listen to today's radio broadcast or any of our podcasts by visiting our website at rzim.org and clicking on the Listen tab. Or visit our online store to purchase today's series or other messages from Ravi and the RZIM team. If you're listening in Canada, that web address is rzim.ca. Or you can call us at one 800 448-6766 to order over the phone or share your prayer requests with us. When you give to RZIM, the money goes towards reaching cities, corporations, campuses, and churches. It helps provide support for Ravi and the RZIM speaking team as they address students, business leaders, and government officials around the globe. If you'd like to donate to our efforts, be sure to call us or visit our website and click on the Give tab. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by RZIM in Atlanta, Georgia. 